When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to episode 242 of TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, the West Coast TV editor here at THR, and I'm joined by the great Dan Feinberg, THR's chief TV critic. Happy New Year, Dan. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Glorious Kwanzaa. All various things. I've missed you, Leslie. Aw, I've missed you too, Dan. And I've missed our fellow listeners. Uh, Apologies for the double vacation week for us. Uh, We planned on recording for the last week of December, but uh, yeah, I kind of lost track of what day of the week it was. And by the time it came time to record, yeah, we just decided to take another week off. So more like I just decided to take another week off. Send your hate mail to me at TVStop5 at numeral5 at THR.com. Okay, but see, the problem with that is that I also get that hate mail. So it's not as if that's actually sending you hate mail. Also, that doesn't answer the question of, so uh, what'd you card on the on the golf course, Leslie? I don't keep score because <laughs> I'm still bad, but... I did feel like I improved a little bit. That is the important thing. Got any good New Year's resolutions, Leslie? Uh, To cook more. So uh, it's working out really well. Natalie's doing a lot more cooking and I'm uh, doing the cleaning, which is perfectly fine by me. So she made a killer lasagna last night. It was delicious. Before that, we did, uh, she won't, we, I say we, but uh, she made steak sandos. It was delicious so excellent so we apologize for for not being back last week when we promised everyone they would be so oh well it happens but we're back this week kind of in some form or another yeah i mean things you know are are still a little slow to get going as it was last year at this time as you know obviously coming out of the strikes and and there's still a little bit uh it feels like the town is still kind of catching its breath getting back into the swing of things this week so we say the name of the show is tv stuff five but this week it's more like tv stuff three exactly we promised that we were going to do a 2024 preview last week we're kind of do going to do a top a 2024 preview this week it's probably going to be a somewhat short show and then maybe next week we will get back into the regular swing of tv's top five things but you know basically we didn't want to leave you guys stranded for three straight weeks because we are just that conscientious we know that people have commutes have daily walks have other various things and that we are part of your routine and as they say on airplanes we know you have lots of choices for your routines and for your listening pleasure and we thank you for flying tv's top five uh and we are still we need to emphasize more reliable than spirit airlines (laughs) Although, did you see the Spirit Airlines story that was basically a Home Alone story? Like the kid got on the wrong flight or they put the wrong kid 
the kid on the wrong flight. So it's very much uh, akin to, to Home Alone 2, which, of course, we watched as part of uh, our holiday ma- movie marathon. So. I missed that. Did the, did the kid get sent someplace interesting? I, probably not, because I don't know that Spirit Airlines goes anywhere interesting. Not that I'm aware, but it was basically the logline of, of Home Alone 2 in real life for Spirit, Spirit Airlines. But uh, did you fly Spirit? I know you got stuck at, at, in London waiting for your flight home. I did not. I flew, I flew United and their explanation for stranding me overnight in London, which they paid for because they took responsibility for it, was that the incoming airplane got struck by lightning. And I guess all things considered, I'm glad that they chose to ground the flight rather than roll the dice and deal with whatever electrical issues they had. Yeah, now that's a storyline from Final Destination. (laughs) Look, they... They started off being like, it's going to be a couple minutes delay. We're we're seeing if there are any problems. And then they're like, yeah, we found problems. We're seeing if we have any diagnostics. And then they're like, yeah, we have the information. We're sending the information back to the United States to see if they're comfortable with us flying the plane. At which point we're all sitting there going, look, if no. there are any <laughs> questions whatsoever, maybe we can just hang around for another night. So anyway, I do not blame United Airlines particularly for this uh, act of God and whatnot. Yeah, but you did see some some great theater in London, right? I did, and we and we might uh, kind of roll that into uh, Critics Corner later because it's also a kind of slow week in terms of actual television. Not a hugely slow week, but there there's a lot of TV coming up later in the month and kind of semi slow this week. So lots of TV though. No no lack of TV. No one should worry. TV's top five. We have things to talk about. Yes, and leading off, we're going to do a, a quasi supersized headlines that covers well the last couple of weeks. Number one. Getting started there, on the heels of its third season finale, Apple has picked up a fifth season of Gary Oldman's spy drama Slow Horses and renewed the rookie drama The Buccaneers for a second season. Over at HBO, The Gilded Age has been picked up for its third season, and Netflix has renewed My Life with the Walter Boys for a second season, much to the chagrin of you and Angie Han, who dubbed the show, well, the worst TV show of 2023. No chagrin whatsoever. I do think that it's an awful TV show, but I don't think it's an awful TV show in one of those Dan is angry about what the show represents about America kind of things. This is not one of those where I'm resentful of any success My Life with the Walter Boys has. I went as soon as I saw a trailer for the show, I said absolutely that there was an audience for it on Netflix. And according to various Netflix top 10 lists have been proven correct. I have to mention the frequency in the past couple weeks with which I've had conversations with people outside of the main bubble about television and what TV show they're watching and the frequency with which people mention slow horses is fairly constant at this point. So I am not in any way surprised that that show is a large hit for Apple. And so I'm I'm happy for it. Also, as I said, when the third season premiered, the third season was my favorite season so far. So it, it's a solid show that tells its stories solidly. And I completely and totally understand why shows like that, why shows like Reacher, why those shows are having success. I think they're kind of splitting the difference between people craving certain procedural aspects to their stories and also people liking kind of the patina of prestige TV. So you watch something like Slow Horses and it's six episodes, it's in, it's out. There are actually some stakes in that show. I would say significantly more than something like Jack Reacher, where Jack Reacher's not going anywhere. Singular Reacher, no Jack necessary, but it's a satisfying good show and I'm glad to see it being successful. Continuing with headlines, it's not exactly an elementary revival, but CBS is revisiting the world of Sherlock Holmes 
kind of with a straight to series order for Watson from former elementary showrunner Craig Sweeney. Morris Chestnut is set to star as the title character and sidekick. The series is slated for next season, the 2024-2025 cycle, after it was put in development a year ago as part of the network's year-round development model. And another series pickups, Amazon has landed an untitled action-adventure series starring Hannah Waddingham and Octavia Spencer that Leslie's source is described as Thelma and Louise meets Jack Ryan. Sure, why not? Sign me up for that. And in news that you know we had to mention, but that broke as part of the pre-holiday news dump, Mayim Bialik announced that she was let go as the co-host of Jeopardy, which leaves Ken Jennings as the lone host of both the syndicated series and primetime specials. Dan, it really just was a way for all of us to talk for both of us to talk about Jeopardy once again. I thought that skipping last week's podcast was a way for both of us to avoid talking about Jeopardy again. And I was thinking that was really the only good thing about missing last week's podcast. No, look, this is one of those things where coming out of the cattle call audition process, there were a lot of people who people liked and there were sort of mixed feelings about a lot of hosts. And some people thought that Ken Jennings, who had come in as the most obvious replacement host, hadn't been as great as they hoped he would be. And some people were surprised by how good my MBA was so kind of splitting the baby in that respect was a way of giving them a chance to find comfort zones or lacks thereof and uh, you know again this is only based on my little bubble and and the handful of jeopardy people who i follow on social media and all of that the perception that i had been getting was that people had felt that ken jennings was becoming increasingly confident and increasingly settled in as exactly what people thought he was going to be the whole time as host of jeopardy and i don't know that people had felt like my Bielik was falling apart or anything like that but definitely in my bubble the perception appeared to be that there was a distance being placed between Ken Jennings and, and Mayim Bialik. And I don't know, obviously, if that is the only reason, the most specific reason for this or whatever. But when the news came out, most of the reactions that I saw were somewhere along the lines of, yeah, that seems about what's right for the best of the show. So continuing along, Stars is cleaning house and has canceled the Courtney Cox, Greg Kinnear horror show Shining Veil after two seasons. I definitely remember that there was a first season and then I was vaguely aware that there was a second season. I watched all of the first season. I watched none of the second season. Who knows why? Probably too much TV. Meanwhile, porn comedy Minx is awaiting word on a potential third season with star Jake Johnson, noting that the former Max show's future does not look good. That's too bad. The second season of Minx was really good, and really the good. first season of Minx was pretty good, but it's pretty really clear good. that that is a show that is not assertively finding an audience out there. So, oh well. <laughs> Yeah, if you know, we're still waiting the official word from stars, but yeah, Jake Johnson saying that it doesn't look good and cutting his hair is not exactly doesn't exactly instill confidence. But uh, we got our fingers and toes crossed here. So there could have hopped into the eighties, and and his character could have been slightly more dapper and presentable, less porny. I, <laughs> yes, slightly less porny. Regardless, I I feel bad about that because obviously they had all of the difficulties hopping from Max getting canceled by Max as they were nearing the end of production on the second season, then hopping over to Stars, which was probably a somewhat more logical home for it in the first place. And then, you know, Stars tried to promote it. I I, I felt Yeah, like but it also, was... it came out during, you know, the, during the strikes and it was just, you know, a very challenging time for that show. Absolutely. Too bad. It's a better show than the bouncing around 
would suggest that it deserved. It, it yeah. feels like it was, unfortunately, just a show that had a hard time getting across what its tone was and its brand was, even though it really had a tone and had a brand. And so, yeah, we'll see. But again, hasn't been canceled yet. So maybe someone will reconsider or yep. order a shortened third season or something. Wrap it up with a movie, Lionsgate. Come on. And wrapping up headlines with news that broke just after our last podcast of 2023, FX has announced that What We Do in the Shadows will end with its upcoming sixth season. Dan, I know this is one of your favorites too. A small bummer, but if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. I don't know that it was necessarily a show that had a, an eternal life, though certainly there were lots of plot lines available and, and stories available to tell and the show had definitely carved out a full world but ultimately it's the kind of show where everyone involved people are getting other work and people are eyeing other possibilities and i can understand why some people would feel like okay this this was a pretty solid lifespan for a show that was based on a, a very very small very very slight little comedy film and has run fairly excellently at times through its run. So happy for the show. And and presumably this means that they got to end it on whatever their terms are. I think that probably it felt like in the last season with the is Guillermo going to become a vampire? Or is he not going to become a vampire arc? It felt as if that was the kind of thing that could have been pointing in an endgame type direction. And then it felt like they kind of cut corners on that at the end. So we'll see if that plays again into what happens in the final season. Unclear. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Number two. Up next, we've promised you for a couple of weeks now, and here it is. It's the 2024 scripted TV preview. Dan, the big thing that I did differently this year in prepping for what usually is my most anticipated new scripted show story is rather than just picking a handful of shows to look forward to, I instead shifted to a platform by platform approach to look at the new shows that you can expect to air in 2024. Because as a result of the production de delays from the last year's dual Hollywood strikes, the release date schedules for new and returning shows are both up in the air. So with a slow start to buying new shows following the strikes, networks and streamers alike right now are all focused on the same thing, which is getting things up and running again after reviewing their current slates. That resulted in a wave of cancellations and unrenewals, including for shows like The Peripheral and A League of Their Own, among others. But yeah, it's really just kind of a platform by platform approach, looking at some of the big things that you're waiting for. So we know for what one example, HBO has kicked a couple of shows 
shows, of returning shows to 2025. Obviously, one thing that's going to be impacted here because of all of these delays as a result of the strikes is the marketing budget. So you can only, every outlet has their own budgets earmarked for what their spend is and how much money they're going to put towards promoting and advertising a certain show, whether that's a new one, which requires a lot more of a a bigger spend or a returning show, which requires a little bit less. But either way, all of these things add up and affect a streaming platform or a network or a broadcaster's financial budget for the fiscal year. And when you see that and you've got a number of of high-profile things that have all been backlogged because of the strikes, obviously some of those things are going to have to move into 2025 and beyond. So, And some things don't move move forward at all, as we've seen with the shows that I just mentioned. But yeah, that's the, the big change this year. So we can do this segment however you'd like, my friend. Yeah, it definitely... It's going to be a strange year because I feel as if there are still a lot of shows that could pop up in the fourth quarter of the year or the third quarter of the year that are resuming production, presumably now, presumably soon. Obviously, if we were to be doing a 2024 industry preview slash speculation, all of this depends on Teamsters reaching a new labor agreement, because if things go pear-shaped with that, then then everything's going to shut down again. So. Yeah, that is probably like if we were to be doing what the industry is going to be looking and, you know, certainly we could uh, what the industry is going to be looking like in 2024. Is it going to be a year without strikes is the biggest question that the industry is facing. Hopefully, presumably what happened in the second half of 2023 is going to be a lesson and we won't need to do that again. And the good people of the Teamsters will get what they want and the industry will be able to move forward. But all all bets are off. Though a lot of these shows that are in your, your very excellent list are shows that either totally finished before all of the strikes and are simply getting polished or shows that were nearly finished or shows that were delayed so that people would guarantee that they had programming into early 2024. So yeah, where do you, where do you want to start? Because there's there's a lot of good stuff here and there's a lot of big things that I'm looking forward to in 2024. I would I would say some of them as early as January. Yeah, I mean, let's just go alphabetical by by platform. And obviously we're not going to get to every single network and streaming service, but this is just a look at the high profile outlets. So start let's start with Amazon. You've got Fallout which is from Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, the creators of Westworld, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Donald Glover and Maya Erskine from Pen15 taking over for Phoebe Waller-Bridge in Mr. and Mrs. Smith and then Expats, that's the Nicole Kidman uh, show from Lulu Wang that Jen Salky at Amazon picked up all the way back in 2018. So now you can kind of see the reasoning here of why I kind of made the, the decision to shift to looking at what you can expect at some of these platforms because like Mr. and Mrs. Smith was supposed to, to air last year. Expats, who the hell knows? I mean, that, like I said, it was picked up five years ago now. So yeah, a, a lot of things change because most of these platforms do not have programming that is like a broadcast show, which is meaning that it's on at the exact same time every year because whether they're big in scope or they've got A-list stars who are juggling multiple projects or whatever reasons, like Fallout is going to be a very intensive show because it's based on a video game, lots of action stunts, et cetera, VFX, go I can go on but you get the idea here that very few shows come out on the same schedule the way that they used to at least on broadcast so 
that's at Amazon. Just looking at those three shows and looking at at the circuitous path to 2024 premieres for all of them. Yeah, in, interesting. Like I, I really loved uh, Lulu Wong's uh, The Farewell. I thought that was a, a great movie. And so I'm definitely looking forward to expats. But Mr. and Mrs. Smith, as you say, it's been sort of up and down and up and down. But I, I felt like the first trailer got a pretty positive response. People were particularly excited by all of the guest cast announcements that came with that first trailer. And to me, that kind of just made it look like it, it felt a lot like a slightly more assassination heavy version of Poker Face. The let's have a sort of B plus tier guest star in every episode who either is or isn't going to get assassinated by Mr. Mrs. Smith. I mean, that's a way of doing it as a TV show. As for Fallout, yeah. I have absolutely no interest in the the brand, but it looked like the cast was pretty good. So maybe, but it, like all of these video game adaptations that are for games that as a rule I've either never played or have only a little awareness of. There is at least some bar they have to clear. Fortunately, something like Last of Us absolutely cleared that bar. So who knows? Maybe it'll be good. Yeah. Next up, we're going to take a look at Apple. My big question for Apple is what exactly is the future of Ted Lasso? Obviously, the finale set up a couple of different possible spinoffs. They've been mum about what's going on there. I've you know, heard through sources that Jason Sudeikis desperately misses that character. So who's who knows if they're going to find a way to bring him back with another a fourth season of Ted Lasso or if they're going to do another spinoff. But what we know that's coming at Apple is you've got the star-studded comedy Palm Royale that's due in the spring, which is a look at high society that features the cast including Kristen Wiig, Ricky Martin, Laura Dern, and Carol Burnett. Dude, Carol Burnett. I will watch anything with Carol Burnett in it. Except for the final season of Better Call Saul. Okay, Dan. Well, that's because I've never watched an episode of Better Call Saul. So, all right. Also expected at Apple in the spring is The Big Cigar. That's the limited series that chronicles the manhunt for the founder of the Black Panther Party with Andre Holland starring. Also coming in the first quarter, you've got The New Look, which is the Paris set historical fashion drama featuring Ben Mendelsohn as Christian Dior, Juliette Binoche as Coco Chanel, and Maisie Williams as Catherine Dior. And then in January... Apple, not HBO, takes flight with Masters of the Air, which is the Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks produced follow-up to Band of Brothers and the Pacific with Austin Butler starring. So let's see if he brings his Elvis twang. I hope he does not. I uh, hope he doesn't either. Definitely looking forward, though, to Masters of Air. I, um, Band of Brothers is an all-time classic. Uh, the Pacific, as a result of not being Band of Brothers, has probably been slightly underrated. I think it's also a, a spectacular piece of television. Uh, the, the initial trailers make this look very... Very, very CG heavy, which is just going to be the nature of what's going to happen if you're doing a TV series about Flyboys. That's that's just what's going to what it's going to be. But I have a lot of confidence and faith, and I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm I'm very curious about the new look. I have a, a sort of nervousness about how stories like this are told. You know, is it basically going to be the here's Coco Chanel was a was a Nazi collaborator story or are they going to soft pedal that I don't see how they possibly could so look if, if this is finally going to be the thing that's going to be like okay folks you you can think that Coco Chanel is cool but she was absolutely totally in bed with the Nazis you got to deal with that I can be curious about that as well and the cast is very very good mostly it's it's feeling as if there's no chance that Pachinko is going to be 
popping up in 2024 that we're probably looking to 2025 for that. I know no one is talking about it and it's been just such a long time since that one aired that it makes me a little sad. I, I miss Pachinko. I think I may need to go and rewatch the Pachinko credit sequence while you're telling us what's coming out on another service because that was a yeah, really great I mean, show. And, and I didn't check in on Pachinko because I'm this list is really focused only on the new US produced scripted shows. So sure. Yeah. And, but we do know, you know, based on our previous interviews, that is a, a very labor intensive show and it does take a considerable amount of time to produce. So I would be surprised to see it in 2024. Me too. Up next, it's Disney Plus. And what is Disney Plus without Marvel and Star Wars fare? Well, not much, because what we know is that their attempts at reviving legacy titles, at least recently, have not gone well. So rest in peace with to shows like Muppets Mayhem, National Treasure, Willow, Mighty Ducks, and a couple of others based on big IP, Disney IP that doesn't come from the world of Star Wars or Marvel. But speaking of both, what we know is Echo, the Hawkeye spinoff, is coming January 10th. Then you've got the WandaVision offshoot, Agatha, Darkhold Diaries. That's due in the fourth quarter. And then on the animated front, I'm actually excited for this one, is X-Men 97, which is obviously based on the 90s X-Men animated cartoon, which was such a staple of uh my television viewing. I'm not a big X-Men fan, but that animated show was so good. Then you've got over at Lucasfilm, you can expect Star Wars The Acolyte, starring Amanda Stenberg, Jodie Turner-Smith, and Squid Game breakout Lee Jung-Jae, as well as the Jude Law-led skeleton crew. So yeah, Marvel and Star Wars at Disney. I know you're all shocked. I mean, it feels, again, this, once again, just going to keep referring to my bubble. It does feel as if Percy Jackson has gotten a little bit more traction than some of those dead, attempted, non-Star Wars, non-Marvel franchise shows on Disney+. Plus. So possibly that means that they have a success that's outside of that. Maybe. I, I don't know. And then- There's a renewal. It, it's it's a very good question. And if you don't know, nobody does. And then as you say, so it's funny that the Marvel stuff that they have, it is these kind of spin-off-y type shows. So Agatha was something that things were very, very excited about after WandaVision. But I feel like that's been a very, very long time. And I don't know. I mean, I think people will find a way to be enthusiastic about it. But definitely, it's been too long for it to actually be uh, capitalizing on real heat. I don't know that Echo really had any heat, which is too bad because I'm actually really interested because they're doing different things with it. It's more adult centric. They are, as you say, they're dropping it in a binge model, which is something that they haven't done before. Are they doing that because they aren't proud of it or because they are proud of it and they think that that audience is going to want to roar through five episodes? Is the fact that it's only five episodes a bad sign? All of those things kind of have me scratching my head and yeah it's gonna then the sort of the star wars spin-off-y type shows it'll be interesting to see what kind of traction they can get for those the acolyte seems potentially interesting and it has a very good cast and uh leslie headland is extremely talented so yeah this is it feels like an an interesting year for disney plus and we'll see if any of these things materialize successfully or if they continue with some of the less than overwhelmingly overjoyed responses (laughs) that the recent Marvel movies have gotten. So yeah. Yeah. Up next, speaking of Disney FX, which is for my, at least the reason that I did this story, a a prime example of the scheduling challenges that everyone across the film and TV spectrum is facing. So the big debut for, for FX this year is going to be Shogun. 
And if this sounds familiar, it's because it should, because it was on my list of, of the most anticipated shows for 2023. So that is now firmly on the schedule. It's due February 27th. That is the biggest budgeted show that the John Landgraf Cable Network has ever mounted. And uh, yeah, it's based on James Clavel's 1975 novel. And it's the largest international scale production that they have done. Elsewhere, the cable network also has The Veil starring Elizabeth Moss in a in a role that industry observers have called the Emmy winners, one of the Emmy winners best yet, which is high praise considering what she's done with The Handmaid's Tale. And then elsewhere at FX, what is a, a most anticipated list without a little dash of Ryan Murphy, who returns to FX after a seven-year break with the se second season of Feud. The new season of the anthology Capote versus the Swans is premieres January 31st on FX with episodes the next day on Hulu. And the cast is just, I mean... Holy cow. Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, Tom Hollander, and the late Treat Williams. What a cast. I'm definitely looking forward to Shogun. I, I hope that Shogun is good. I really do. I read the novel, I guess, two years ago, which once again returns to how long this one has been in development. And look, if the long development process is a result of them trying to get it right, and they have definitely put effort into changing gears, into changing conceptions, into making sure that they weren't doing this in the way that some people hear Shogun and they think, okay, 1970s white guy version of what Edo Japan looked like. How does it how how does it work and how does it avoid looking like colonialist? trash. And the answer is that they produced it with largely Asian writers, extensive numbers of Japanese stars, of Japanese craftspeople, et cetera, et cetera. So they put a lot of effort into getting things right. And, and I do think that pretty clearly the intentions are in the right place for this. Will the execution be right? I don't know. The trailer looks big as hell. That is about all I can say because I've watched none of it other than the trailer, but it definitely looks big. As for the trailer of the new season of Feud, Tom Hallander looks very amusing. And as you say, that is one hell of a cast. So, though, God, I, I thought that Naomi Watts was like 15 different actresses when I saw the trailer. I kept the, I kept, she kept popping up. I kept going, wait, was that dot, dot, dot. In the end, it turned out to be Naomi Watts, which may be Naomi Watts' great superpower. Up next, we take a look at HBO, which on the heels of one of the worst shows of last year, The Idol, does look like it has a really stacked 2024. So you've got the uh, the franchise due in the fall. This is a basically, it, it's a a stab at the beleaguered superhero genre in a half-hour comedy about the behind-the-scenes of a fictional, struggling superhero movie that stars one of my favorites, Aya Cash and Himish Patel from yesterday, leading the cast. That's due in the fall. Then you've, HBO also has, in the spring, The Regime, which will fill Thirst for the Crown and features a cast that includes Kate Winslet, Andrea Riseborough, Hugh Grant, and Martha Plimpton. And not to be outdone, there's the A24 mini The Sympathizer, based on the Pulitzer Prize winning novel of the same name that features Robert Downey Jr. playing multiple roles opposite none other than Sandra Oh. And I would watch her read the fun book. Sympathizer is a really good book, so and a really 
good book that would seem to lend itself cinematically to what they're trying to do. And as for the regime, when Kate Winslet does things for HBO, awards follow, you know, whether it's Mildred Pierce or Mayor of Easttown. So I can be curious and Andrea Riseborough, Hugh Grant and and the great, great Martha Plimpton. Uh, that is a that is a very good cast. And also so many of these shows, it's kind of funny, have people, well, not really funny because these have been very, very successful shows for HBO. A lot of HBO's upcoming shows have people with uh, Succession and Veep on their resumes, and that is always a good sign for me, though we are going to see as each of these shows comes along how much Jesse Armstrong really was or wasn't the exclusive voice of Succession, whether all of these people who he always gave a tremendous amount of credit for uh, on Succession, he always made the point of saying, here are the other writers, they are part of the voice of this show as well. So I think we're going to get to see that as well, just how much of the the very specific, very dark, very funny tone of that wonderful show, how much it carries through when people who aren't Jesse Armstrong are are carrying the Succession brand along on their resumes. So very curious. Yep. Up next, it's Hulu. And while Showtime may have passed on the Mandy Patankin family comedy, Hulu has the beloved star on the case in a show called Death and Other Details, which is a white lotus-like murder mystery drama set aboard a cruise liner that you can expect January 16th. Also coming to Hulu, you've got the limited series We Were the Lucky Ones, which brings the act grad Joey King back to the streamer for the Holocaust survival drama. Then there's Interior Chinatown, a crime drama that sounds like a show within a show meets Jury Duty that's also directed by Taika Watiti. And then rounding out Hulu's high-profile bows is Under the Bridge, a true crime series starring Riley Keough, Lily Gladstone, and Archie Punjabi that is executive produced by Hulu's go-to hitmaker and friend of the five, Liz Tiglar. Dan, anything you're specifically excited about here? I think those things all sound interesting. I think Interior Chinatown, uh, because it's a very, very good book, and it's a very good book that weaves its cinematic style into its prose, so there's absolutely no reason why it shouldn't be easily adaptable. I, I would I would step away from any jury duty comparisons on anything uh, just because I didn't like jury duty. It seems like it ought to be good. And Riley Keough, Lily Gladstone, and Archie Punjabi is a really solid, hot cast. And by hot, I mean buzzworthy. Uh, whatever. I'm not I'm not objectifying anyone. What I'm saying is they got some good names who are on the upswing. So uh, definitely curious people. about that one as yeah. well. So, But yeah, Interior Chinatown of those is the one that I'm looking forward to most. Yeah. And up next at Max, it's an interesting one here. The Girls on the Bus, which is a political show from Greg Berlanti and Julie Pleck that is based on a chapter in author Amy Chozek's memoir, Chasing Hillary. That series stars Supergirl alum Melissa Benoist and marks a new chapter for Berlanti as he returns to the political spectrum. So what's interesting is that this show has been literally all over the place. It was at Netflix for a little while. It was on the CW for a minute. Yeah, it's it's just, it's really made the rounds on the bus. So we'll see if how this one does. So elsewhere at Max, they're leaning hard on IP with Dune Prophecy, the, the long gestating prequel series starring Emily Watson, Olivia Williams, and Travis Fimmel as DC's James Gunn TV era officially begins. Also with the offshoot of The Penguin starring Colin Farrell. 
and Kristen Milotti. So yeah, little things to be interested here, but I'm most interested on the, about the girls in the bus. So, and it is an election year. So we'll see how that one, if, if that one's able to break through. It is indeed an election year. Uh, no, I'll be curious to see how the penguin functions as a standalone character, given that Colin Farrell was very interesting, also very heavily made up in the Batman. We'll see about that. And as for Dune prophecy, there's just gonna be a lot of Dune going around this year, which is good news if you're a fan of the Dune franchise or the expanding Dune franchise, unclear otherwise. But yeah, those are those are some big titles to be sure. Yeah. Speaking of, of big titles, there's another big one here coming up for Netflix that was also on my 2023 list of most anticipated that is officially and firmly scheduled for 2024. And that's The Three-Body Problem, which is the first show from Game of Thrones creators David Benioff and Dan Weiss. That do, is due March 21st, and that's been in the works for some time. It's going to be a great question to see if Benioff and Weiss have, will are worth the $250 million that Netflix paid them as part of the big bidding war to land the, the, the Game of Thrones creators after their HBO deal expired. So speaking of Game of Thrones, this the series that has been in the works since 2020 counts Alexander Wu as the co-showrunner and stars Eliza Gonzalez, Game of Thrones alums John Bradley, Liam Cunningham, and Jonathan Price, among others. Also at Netflix... Avatar, The Last Airbender, the live action update that Netflix started marketing 100 days out from its premiere. To say a lot of people are excited for this one is an understatement. So starring Daniel Day Kim and Amber Midthunder. That comes out February 22nd. And then elsewhere at the streamer, this one I'm super pumped about. So you've got on the comedy front, the Good Place creator Mike Schur reteams with Ted Danson for a new take on the mole agent. That one's going to be fun. And then this other one, the cast has come together so well for this, but Dead to Me's Liz Feldman has lined up an all-star cast for her follow-up show called No Good Deed with Ray Romano, Lisa Kudrow, Linda Cardellini, Luke Wilson, and Abby Jacobson. Sign me up. That's a very good cast. Um, I am currently reading Three Body Problem and struggling with it a tiny bit. It's uh, it's it's more work and less plot than I necessarily thought it was going to be, but I'm moving along with it, moving along with it, moving along with it, and curious to see what it will look like as a TV show, since I assume it will probably have much less of a focus slash fascination with the Chinese Cultural Revolution than the book does, uh, so we'll see how they handle that. Avatar Last Airbender is obviously going to be a huge swing for Netflix. And given how much of a disaster the M. Night Shyamalan movie was, obviously it will have that as an advantage. Netflix has obviously been very successful with actual anime, and now it has a mixed track record with adapting uh, anime and beloved anime as live action processes because Cowboy Bebop it had some people who liked it, obviously, but not enough to get a second season. On the other hand, One Piece was a pretty gigantic success, apparently. So it would appear for Netflix. So this one has an interesting cast. It it appears to have a lot of respect for the source material, which made uh, our list of the 50 best shows of the new millennium when we put it out last fall towards the bottom. But yes, so very interesting on that one. And yeah, I assume Netflix will have a lot of other content that you haven't listed here because Netflix just has a lot of content. Yeah. And the inverse here at Paramount Plus, you've the, the big high profile launch there is the Billy Bob Thornton show called Landman. That's Taylor Sheridan's newest. That's based on the Boomtown podcast about the oil industry. So what's surprised me when, when I surveyed all of these, these platforms was 
how light some of them are on new originals. And Paramount Plus had one this one title basically. So, and then they, although they are expected to launch this uh, George Clooney directed show from Showtime, which, or as it's now called Paramount Plus with Showtime called The Department, it hasn't been cast, but that's expected to launch in 2024. So sure. Uh, and then Peacock rounding out, rounding out our list. You've got a remnant from the Susan Rovner era at the streamer with Seth MacFarlane's live action Ted. That's due January 11th with the prequel series that takes the talking Teddy back to 1993 with Parenthood's Max Burkholder taking on the role previously played by Mark Wahlberg in the films. And then elsewhere, Peacock has Apples Never Fall based on the novel by Big Little Lies author starring Annette Benning. So interesting. I suppose. Uh, but yes, that is that is a lot of 2024 content that the kids can be interested in. I, I think that yeah, look, it never 2023 never be really slowed down and we're going to see if 2024 actually does start to feel slower, if it does feel like you can feel the product of both the general cyclical decline of television away from peak TV, the consolidation of various streamers and whatever and if, the you know, that obviously in the marketplace, speaking. yeah. Exactly. And if you're also going to be able to feel the slow ramp up on some of these bigger productions. And I'm kind of wondering if we're going to get more, for example, split seasons out of uh, Netflix, because I feel like Netflix is probably going to have a bunch of shows where they may want to, <laughs> they may want to just have more content available. And so they may do more kind of four and four premieres, five and five premieres. You saw a lot of that last year with stuff like you and the crown that Netflix was trying to be more flexible with its premieres your rollout schedule, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to see more of that. I don't think you're going to see a big run of weekly premieres from Netflix. They keep insisting that's a thing they're not going to do, but they also insisted commercials were a thing they weren't going to do. So we'll see what it looks like. Yeah, that's a, a very safe bet there, Dan, for split seasons. So, And in, in the titles that you mentioned, by the way, The Crown and You, two of their biggest hits. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see some of the, their biggest and most popular titles get the, get split in half. Number three. As usual, well, sort of usual, we do wrap things up with the Critics' Corner. Among this week's major new launches, Brad Falchuk strikes out on his own after more than a decade of collaborating with Ryan Murphy, and he's got the Netflix drama The Brother's Son. Over at Fox, the network launches the John Hamm animated comedy Grimsburg, which has already been renewed for a second season. And on Sunday, our favorite award show, The Golden Globes, makes its return to CBS. Dan, what you got? Our corporate sibling, the Golden Globes, will be presented on CBS. Uh, anyway, we're not discussing that, nope. but I will be watching the show, and I will definitely be watching the show. So, yay! Welcome back, Golden Globes. Um, Said one some, interesting, some interesting <laughs> stuff premiering. Some interesting stuff premiering this week. Uh, I watched five of eight episodes of Brothers Son, and... I think the first thing that people have to know going in is that it's probably more of a comedy than people are expecting it to be. I think a lot of Netflix's early descriptions called it a dark comedy, and I think some people have more leaned into viewing it as a family melodrama or an action comedy or whatever. I would describe it first and foremost as a comedy, and this is not me doing my succession as a comedy, White Lotus is a comedy, it's a dark satire 
Empire. It's really kind of silly, playful, and fun in a way that I don't know necessarily that they've been attempting to convey that it is. It is absolutely entertaining and amusing. It has a lot of things that I didn't think worked all that well in terms of its storytelling or whatever. It's it's kind of a familiar story. It's a member of a Taiwan triad comes to Los Angeles because his father was assassinated or attempted to be assassinated, shot, and he's reunited with his mother, played by the great Michelle Yeoh, and by his brother, who has no idea that he comes from a triad family and uh, has no experience whatsoever as a criminal whatever, and hilarious bumbling in Los Angeles ensues. I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff in the way that it's approached. Uh, Kevin Tancheran directed the first four episodes. He's really good. He directed the Mortal Kombat movies, done a lot of television. He did fame, which not so exciting. But anyway, he's got a very good eye for martial arts action and character-driven comedy at the same time. And I think the first four episodes look pretty solid. The action scenes are sometimes amusing. What I enjoyed with about this more than anything is they made a point. Yes, Brad Falchuk is the co-producer, but there was a, a specific goal to have a largely Asian writing staff. And I think there's a lot of specificity to the comedy in this. Uh, you know, the idea of having a broad, expensive American type show in which there's, for example, a running joke about eyelid tape. That That's the kind of thing that doesn't feel like it's popping up on TV shows all the time, but it's conversationally, you know, it is an actual topic of conversation within the Asian and Asian American communities. And it's it's interesting to see that being played out up front. It's funny to see the different culinary things be given breathing room, uh, just lots of lots of very specific cultural stuff that I, I kind of dug. I liked the specificity of this. I liked a lot of the supporting performers. Michelle Yeoh is, is always great, but but uh, Justin Chien and Sam Chong Lee are are very solid in the two lead roles as the brothers. I, I don't think they're solid if you approach this as a drama. Particularly, I think Sam Chong Song Lee is playing very broadly comedic. But if you take that this is a comedy, I found it. I found it entertaining. I really, I, I did. It's it. It's very shallow in a narrative sense. I think it has depths, as I said, in a cultural sense, and I I think it is. I think it's entertaining, and I think probably as a as a first week of January show, I, I think it works pretty decently. You just have to know that the tone is more like, honestly, I thought several times as I was watching it that the tone was a lot like Obliterated, which is also a fairly broad comedy that Netflix had that I think I got the impression it was doing well for them. This is me again trusting Netflix's various top 10 lists. Uh, we have yet to get the end of 2023 <laughs> 2500 list of netflix shows and how many hours they were watched so we'll see if they actually were i like the cast i thought it was entertaining it is more broadly comedic than you are probably expecting it to be but if you expect it to be broadly comedic and you expect it to be a little bit silly i believe that uh our colleague ganchi called it zany i think that's an appropriate world word as well i think if you expect it to be those things and not gritty and grounded and whatever, I think there's fun to be had with Brother's Son. I think if you expect it to be serious and you expect it to be good and you expect it to be a worthy follow-up to Michelle Yeoh's Oscar win and all that, it's it's not that. But you can laugh and it's and it's 
there's some good action. Uh, as for Grimsburg, I, I think the best thing I can say about Grimsburg is that uh, in terms of recent Fox animated comedies with uh, location-based titles go, Grimsburg is many times better than Crapopolis. So that is that is my highest of praise for Grimsburg. It gives the impression of knowing what the joke is, whereas I don't feel like Crapopolis, and I've watched a few episodes beyond the first four that I watched for my review. I, I just don't think it knows what the joke is. I don't think it has a sense of where the humor is, and yet it's already been renewed through season three, so whatever. But Grimsburg has a sense of what its comedy is coming from. The premise is that John Hamm voices a detective named Marvin Flute, uh, very disheveled. Um, the only mystery he can't solve, solve is how to, how to be a good father to his family. Of course, his ex-wife, Harmony, is a news anchor or news reporter voiced by the great Aaron Hayes, who was raised by bears little bit funny there. Uh, his son, voiced by Rachel Dratch, Stan, is sort of wimpy and spineless, uh, but has an amusing skeleton best friend named Mr. Flesh, voiced by Alan Tudyk. Kind of funny there. And the point is that it's this town that became somewhat cursed after a failed uh, virgin sacrifice in 1848. And so it's a town just awash in crime of different kinds. There are serial killers, there are slashers. And so it's playing off of a lot of different crime tropes. There's one episode that is about a true crime show shooting based on a serial killer in town called The Boner, whatever. Uh, there's another set at a summer camp that's beset upon by multiple, over the years, axe-wielding serial killers. There's an episode set on a mansion, set in a mansion that is also a train that is an Agatha Christie takeoff. A lot of the punchlines, you can see where the humor is coming from. Again, uh, this was not the case with Crapopolis. You can see where the punchlines are coming from. It gives the impression of having the shape of humor. John Hamm, very funny as a voice. Alan Tudyk does his thing. Lots of funny people are voicing the characters on the show. I don't know that it works even close to wholly. I think in the four episodes I've seen, I laughed a few times, but it has the shape of what could be a decent show. It's a little bit more grown up than a lot of the Fox animated stuff. It's it's not full on FX, Netflix, grown up adult animation or anything, but there, there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of, uh, there's, there's sort of double entendre up the wazoo, etc. Not great, but you can see how it could become funny as it evolves. So yeah, uh, I preferred Brother Son to Grimsburg, but I didn't hate Grimsburg and it could be decent. Um, as Leslie mentioned, saw a lot of theater in London, uh, probably for the purposes of this podcast. The most interesting thing I saw was the Stranger Things show, the blockbuster Stranger Things play, which is kind of, it's basically, it takes the backstory of Vecna, the villain from the last season of Stranger Things, and it takes the backstory that we know because we saw it in the last season of Stranger Things and expands it in a way that makes it largely irrelevant to the backstory that we saw, which is a little confusing. It's kind of like retconning the backstory of a character, but only for the purposes of people who have 100 bucks or 150 bucks to go see a play in London and sometime soon New York. 
strange choice. I don't get that. But a little bit like Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, it's it's there to show what you can do on stage when it comes to spectacle. And so there's a lot of wire work. There's a lot of uh, fun work with, with lighting. They, they include and weave through some filmed bits. They manage to make sure that they get the opening credits theme of Stranger Things into the play so that the audience can roar when they hear that. The audience seemed really engaged. It was a young audience lots and lots of whispering about making connections between things the part of the point of the premise also is that it's a lot of the teenage versions it's very much a muppet baby's teenage version of a lot of the characters who people know from the show so the one Ryder character the david harbour character the sean astin character if you remember him from season two they all have their teenage incarnations in the play i don't think it's a very good play and i think that the the retconning of the characters is confusing and I really don't think it makes a lot of sense. But just in terms of spectacle and in terms of size, I thought it was impressive and entertaining and there's no question that the kids, the key demographic that they're trying to get out to it, really, really enjoys it. Uh, so I didn't love it, but I but I thought it was interesting and fun to watch as a piece of theatricality. If, however, you're in London and you uh, get lucky enough to get tickets for the Donmar Warehouse production of Macbeth with David Tennant and Cush Jumbo, that was tremendous. Strongly recommend that. Really tough ticket because the Donmar Warehouse is a very, very small theater, but I, I think persistence would allow people to get tickets if people happen to be in London. If you're not in London, unfortunately, you're you're out of luck. But really good production. David Tennant just is fantastic. And Kush Jumbo is great. Uh, I'll talk about her new Apple TV Plus show, Criminal Record or something, in a week or two. Maybe next week. Who knows? Lots of TV. As you may have just heard us discuss, 2024 is going to be a year with lots and lots of TV. Yeah. And, you know, I've been talking about how my wife and I spent a lot of December watching holiday movies. And Dan, you said on a previous podcast that maybe we'll do a little rundown of my Ooh. favorites. Well, this is, your time is is now. So my, my favorites were uh, we discovered Your Christmas or Mine, which is an Amazon original Christmas movie starring Asia Butterfield. Um, they got a sequel, Your Christmas or Mine 2. Both of them are great. The first one's obviously better than the second one. And uh, my probably my favorite one of the season that I hadn't seen before was an actual Hallmark movie called Round and Round. It's a Hanukkah movie featuring a queer Jewish couple. And it's it's very by the numbers, but let me just say how much I felt seen watching that. So you got a queer couple in a Jewish holiday movie so those are my favorites and then of course you know the, the usual staples i'm a love actually die hard um i we watch happiest season every every year so there you go excellent hope everyone had a wonderful holiday break and yeah thank you for uh bearing with us so for more of dan's weekly recommendations be sure to subscribe to the hollywood reporters now see this newsletter and bookmark thr.com slash tv dash reviews for more. That feels like a good place to wrap things up. Thank you as always for listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. Be sure to subscribe on all of your various podcasting platforms. If you like us, rate us. If you really like us, write a little reviewy thing. They help spread the word of mouth. Come say hi to us on the social medias. 
not on Elon Musk's white national social media site, but come say hi on Blue Sky or something. Uh, I'm at the fine print. She's at Snoodit wherever she happens to be posting on social media, though not on Blue Sky, I don't believe. But if you have questions for future mailbag segments on future podcasts, you can, as always, email us at TV's Top 5 at THR.com. That is TV's Top 5, the numeral 5, at THR.com. Until next week, Leslie. Until next week, Dan. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.